Um, if you back up a slide, you should see um, Jingle Bell Beach. How many of you remember Jingle Bell Beach? Yeah, some of you do. Okay, it just happened last month, and on the second uh, pr presentation of our children's uh, play, musical, uh, gospel presentation of Jingle Bell Beach. Uh, the second one was on that Sunday morning. And as I normally do, I'm the first one out. So I'm out there with the door uh, propped open, kind of waiting to, I don't even know if I was going to shake hands that day because mostly it's about the kids and that's fine. And I'm standing by one of the mothers and I'm looking around to see if she's here. I don't see her quickly, but that's okay. I got, is she here? Yeah, I haven't seen her yet. I'll, I'll see her eventually. Okay, but don't don't stand up. But um, in any event, uh, she told me she was saying how much she really loved this church, and I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like, why, why, why this church? She said, well, it's the one place that we've never had to drag our children to worship, or drag to Sunday school, or, or drag to any of these. Uh, play practices and these musical things. And I said, oh, that's really cool. She said, in fact, when I open the door, they run to church. Why can't we run to church in the same way? I asked uh, Melody if I could quote her on that, and she agreed. And i sorry, I still didn't see her out there. But think about it. When was the last time and you ran to church? Probably at the chili cook-off, you know. Get some chili, you know. Maybe it was at your baptism, you know. It, it, that's an exciting day to run, you know. Maybe it's vacation Bible school and your mom is in charge of snacks. And you know you're going to get the Rice Krispie treats or the heavily sugared Kool-Aid. But when's the last time you really ran to church? Maybe, there you are, I finally saw you. Sorry, I'm, I think you normally were three rows back. Um, maybe it was the, the last time that you... I lost my train of thought by saying that, so let me hear. Whew. When's the last? Oh, you run to church for your wedding. How many of you ran to church for your wedding? Uh, some of you were running away. No. Yeah, you run to church to get married. But I asked uh, Melanie if I could use that, and I think that's a perfect quote for us today, to have the faith to uh, run. Um, some of you would say my running days are over. You know, I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too disabled by the sin of this world in which I live in. Or maybe I'm just not excited enough to run, to see the one who caused the blind to see, the lame to walk, and to bring the dead back to life. The one who would love you when no one else would. The one who would forgive you when no one else could. The one who will sustain you and redeem you. Let's have the faith to run, like Mary, Peter, and John. So today we go back to the Gospel of John that I've been in now two years. Uh, somebody said, will you get it finished before you retire? Yes, I will get it finished before I retire. And then somebody else, I think it was Todd, somebody sent me, goes, well, didn't John write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and didn't John maybe do Revelation? And I'm going to get to the end of the Gospel of John. So uh, we go back to the... The 20th chapter, well, the first time we're in the 20th chapter, but just setting the stage, and I know it's difficult after coming off of Christmas because this is typically the Easter Sunday message. I mean, this is the passage you're going to read on Easter Sunday. He's been crucified. He has been executed a criminal's death, 
because he spoke the truth. His followers saw him, well, just a few. I mean, John, he speaks to John from the cross and tells him, behold your mother. Mary Magdalene was there because we'll, we'll read about that and she's going to be in the, the text today. Most of them probably had gone off for their own safety, the fear of their own lives. Nick at night, along with Joseph of Arimathea, had got him and put him in his body, buried him in a brand new tomb, took 75 pounds of spices, wrapped him up in linen, and laid him in the tomb. And then that's where we pick up today with followers who were basically floundering, not knowing what to do. But I think it's always powerful that Mary is mentioned in all the Gospels, sometimes with other ladies. In fact, you'll see that she uses the term, we have been there. But singularly, John mentions her as we look at this passage that happens on the first day of the week, and those of you who have been around here know that my mentor in the Air Force chaplaincy was an African-American uh, National Baptist. Whenever he read this, he would always say it, because he could put on his accent if he wanted to. He would say, it was early in the morning. And I say that on every sunrise service. It's early in the morning. But it was early on the first day of the week. That would be Sunday, because the Sabbath ended and now it begins on Sunday, while it was still dark. So she's gone before sunrise. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. It doesn't say she went in. It just says it's been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did still not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Let's pray. Father, as we call on your name once again, we pray that we might have the faith to run just as Mary ran to tell the disciples, as we will read in later verses, about encountering you. Father, I pray that we would have the faith to run towards you rather than running towards the things that this world has to offer. Give us the energy, give us the legs, give us the heart that would say, I'll run full steam ahead for Christ. This is our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First point would be run to share. Three characters are mentioned in John's account. As I said, 
in the other in the synoptics Matthew Mark and Luke there are multiple women mentioned but here it's just Mary and she goes immediately to Peter and the one the disciple Jesus loved which most commentators would say John so let's look at these characters just a little bit some theologians believe that Mary Magdalene is the same woman that Luke tells about in chapter 7 that anointed or washed Jesus' feet with her tears. In fact, the Pharisee, um, Simon the Pharisee there, becomes so uh, aghast that Jesus would let this happen. Jesus says in verse 47, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. It's a powerful story, and it would be nice to think that that is Mary Magdalene. But unfortunately, there's really no good reason for saying that's who it was. Her name is not listed. When Jesus was on the road with his disciples, there were often many women that traveled with him, just as there are men and women that come to church. He had cast demons out of some of the women, and in turn, they sought his fellowship and his guidance and basically helped carry the good news of one who had healed and one who had cleansed. One of them was Mary Magdalene, no doubt, and in her case, it appears that not just one evil spirit had been cast out of her, but seven evil spirits had been cast out. Just what her problem was, nobody has really ever said, but along with the story in Luke, tradition has it that she was a woman of ill repute, perhaps a prostitute. Luke does not say that. That was said by a pope in the 4th or 5th century. And sadly, that has been attributed to her. I'd like to think that was not her background. But if it was, just like you and me, she had been forgiven. Just like you and me. No matter what we've done, if we've sought Christ's forgiveness, we are forgiven. Mary had been an eyewitness to the crucifixion. In fact, we read that she helped with the, the resources, the money. Perhaps she was a wealthy woman herself. We don't know. But she had been a witness to the crucifixion, and now we have in, in chapter 20, she's going, according to the other Gospels, to help anoint the body with spices. I'm thinking 75 pounds that Nick and Joseph brought weren't enough, or maybe she didn't see that. I don't know. But there she is, and she goes and sees that the stone has been rolled away. And she, according to Scripture, doesn't stick her head in and see. Maybe she did. All we know is that from what John's account is, she rushes back. She runs back to tell the disciples. She knew where they were staying then or knew where they were hiding. She ran to them and implies that perhaps others were with her because she says, you know, we don't know where he's laid. But now Peter and John get up. Why the other ten? Or other, maybe other nine, I guess. Why the other nine didn't get up and run with him, we don't know. But these two got up and ran with her. And I've heard many sermons. In fact, I've joked that Peter was probably short, bald-headed, and overweight. And I didn't like that because it sounded a lot like me. But um, John could have been younger, could have been faster, maybe. But the more I thought about it this week, if they said, let's everybody run down to the bank today, and pay our debts. 
Some of us carrying more debt than others, we might have been a little slower in running down to the bank. And Peter was the guy who had denied Jesus. He had the burden, the baggage, the monkey on his back of denying him. He had this guilt, this churning in his heart. And maybe he just didn't want to get there before John. But for whatever reason, John gets there first. And out of respect, out of his own Jewish heritage, that if you touch a dead body, you're, you're you know, sacramentally unclean, John stops. He can see in, but he stops. But here comes Peter, the guy who pulls out a sword and going to chop off an ear, the guy who's always ready, the guy who got out of the boat, who's going who's to walk and, like Jesus on the water, the guy who is really a man of faith. And, of course, we remember him as a man of lack of faith, but he rushes in. And what does he see? He sees these strips of linen. When you think about running to share, are you quick to share good news with other people? I, I, I caught Kathy right there. I'm sorry. I, I saw a head nod. Either she was dozing off or she agreed. If you sold a house today, she's a realtor, if you sold a house today, wouldn't you want to tell somebody? Oh, yeah, baby. And if it was my house you were selling, I'd be wanting to tell somebody. I sold my house, you know, I made some money or got off it, out of debt or whatever. If you won the lottery today, wouldn't you want to tell the church? <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, if goodness happened to you, you want to share goodness. And likewise, when bad happens to you, you usually want to share, you know, woe is me. Feel sorry for me. My kids aren't doing this, or my spouse did this, or my job did this. We share good news, and we share bad news. And we often can't wait to share that with somebody else. So running to share this good news is something we each want to or should be wanting to do. And running in the Bible, if you pull it, if you look for it, you can find it. I mean, there's a lot, I know some of you are joggers. God bless you. I haven't ran much since I retired from the Air Force. That was a mandatory thing, and thankfully I never died when it happened. And some of you I'm looking at have been around the Air Force a long time ago. Remember when you could run or walk the mile and a half? You'd see the smokers out there smoking cigarettes as they're walking their mile and a half. That's really good physical training, but anyway. Um, running in the Bible, Mark 5, tells us that the man who was demon-possessed when he saw Jesus a long way away, ran towards him. This would be the man that the demons were cast into the swine. He ran to Jesus. In Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, the father sees his son coming home, and he picks up his robe, and he runs towards his son. We run when good things happen. We have let running become a forgotten thing in our churches, and I mean that figuratively, although I'll talk about running as a church in a little bit. It is one thing to run with no message. It's another thing to run with the message of Jesus. What a revolution we would have on our hands if when you live church today, you would be running maybe walking fast for some of us who are older, with the good news of Jesus, to share the good news of the resurrection message. 
Wouldn't that be transformational? And so many times, just like those braces can find him from moving, we let things of the world hold us back, hold us down, our fears, our reluctance, our lack of the right words. But if you'll just let go and share the good news of Jesus, have the faith to run, to share. Second, as we look at this passage, run if you believe. It is in our nature to act upon our beliefs. How many times have we watched a video of someone being pranked or joked or tricked with a practical joke and they immediately take off running? Someone comes in and says, hey, the Easter Bunny's outside and watch everybody run out. Well, probably not here. Uh, if you came in and said, the building's on fire. If, if Dan Brown ran in here and said, the building's on fire, most of you would get up. Some of us would be looking how close we are to the door or close we are to the donuts back there, and if there are any left. I see Dan Higby back here ducking now. Okay. But we know what it's like. It, you know, it, I talked about lottery tickets. How many of you have seen the videos that people buy fake lottery tickets and give them away at Christmas? And they start scratching off, and they realize they're a winner and how excited they get, and they're shouting, and they're all about until somebody in the family goes, ha-ha, it's a joke. When we believe something, it causes us to have an action after it. When you believe that he is the Savior of the world, when you believe that he has redeemed you, when you believe that he's changed you, surely you will have the faith to run. Run if you believe. Like children running to church, they run because they believe. John didn't go into the tomb and I said earlier, I don't know why, but it didn't stop Peter. And there they find these two piles of cloths. One is a pile of strips, mummy-like. If you remember in John 11, Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb, and he tells them to unbind him, to loosen him. These strips of cloth that were wrapped around him had constrained him, had kept him from being mobile. And they tell him to, tell them to Jesus tells those people to remove those cloths from him. There's two piles. There's a pile there of the strips, and there's a pile that was on his head. In the Greek word, it's rolled up. Most commentators will talk about the fact that it was maybe rolled around his head. I, I, I read one this week that made some more sense to me. He said not only was it rolled, there was often a chin strap because you often, you know, like when you sleep, your mouth opens. When you die, your mouth might open. They would actually tie the chin up to this top turban to keep the head from moving or the mouth from opening. Why it was that way? Well, there's a great question about that. Had the body been stolen, you would think that they would not have taken the time to unwrap him, right? Then I got to thinking, well, there were 75 pounds of spices on the body. Maybe they had to unwrap him if they stole him. Hmm. But I don't think they stole Jesus' body. If you had stolen anything, you wouldn't fold him up and lay him on the side. You would probably cast it on the ground. When we were here in 1986, we were robbed, robbed two times my first assignment. We were in a little house uh, on the northwest side of town, and um, we were at work, Both, or she was at school, I was at work, something, and uh, the neighbor called and said, your garage door's open and your dog is out running around. Interesting, I think you've been robbed. So I came home, and you knew you're in Texas, the neighbor's wife is outside with a shotgun. You know, I'm like, okay, man, I'm not back in Illinois anymore. I like this, so you shoot first, and then I'll go in. But uh, 
in that house, we had a microwave. It was a hand-me-down microwave. 1986. How many of you got your first microwave before 1986? How many of you weren't born yet? I know. But it, we had a church member back in the civilian church that had given us a microwave because we, didn't, we couldn't afford one, didn't have one yet. And on top of it was one of these gigantic candles with a glass hurricane or whatever they call that. That thing had been taken and put on the table. And I said, if a man had stolen the microwave, he would have just taken his hand, swept it across, the glass would have broken, the candle being on the ground. So there are a lot of conclusions that are made by the way the cloth is laid out. And I don't say that I have the definitive answer other than whether Jesus unwrapped himself or through some divine moving of the body he came through them, I don't know. You know he will show up in the upper room later on through a locked door. We don't know how he came out, but the fact is he was victorious over the grave. John finally enters in verse 8. And as I read this, I tried to pause for you to give some sort of uh, emphasis. Verse 8, finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. What does that mean? Did he believe that Jesus had came back from the dead? Did he believe that the body was gone? Did he believe that the body was stolen? Did he believe that Jesus would come back as he had said he would someday? If you go back into the beginning of this gospel, remember back to the second chapter, verse 21, when Jesus is talking about they will tear down this body or this temple or whatever, they're, they're confused about what he's talking about and rebuild it again in three days. Verse 22. One says, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. This is chapter 2 of John. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. He talks about the resurrection to Martha in John 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And in John 16, he talks to his disciples, now in your time of grief, I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Run if you believe. We run to everything else in the world to fix our problems. We help go to self-help books. We go to the newest drug. We go to the latest social fad. And I just learned this one this past week. Did you know, older people, the Stanley Cups are the rage? Anybody, I mean, not Yeti, Stanley now. And I had a Stanley when I worked on the highway department in college. The only reason I had a Stanley is because it was unbreakable. All the other ones had glass thermos insides. The Stanley was metal. But we run to every fad. Well, if I get a Stanley drinking cup or whatever you call it, man, I'm going to be the coolest kid in the, in the neighborhood. Now, if you got one of those, don't. I'm not picking on you. I'm just, I'm just saying it won't change your life, okay? Jesus will. You know, we run to different relationships because the ones we are in, we fail to find the excitement or the support we think we're needing or wanting. We run to different churches looking for community. When we didn't find what we wanted at the church we were visiting or the church perhaps we were a member of, I had one lady recently tell me, you know, I went to your church and not one person said hello. And I bit my tongue and I did not say, how many people did you say hello to? We leave churches because I never planted roots there. Well, did you check out any of their programs other than Sunday morning? 
you probably won't get too deep of roots if you don't do something other than Sunday morning. Run to Jesus because you believe. You know, I found this week in McKinney, Texas, they host a annual Believe Run. It's done by a Christian school to help raise funds for kids to attend the school that are um, from lower income or perhaps even disabled families. Um, and I just read enough of it because I like the title, A Believe Run. And I thought, well, that's better. Remember when we used to do a run here at the church when I first came? I don't know how many years you had done it prior to me coming, but I know we did at least two years, I think, maybe three. I remember one year, one of your girls outran me, and I was still in the Air Force, I think. I'm thinking, man, I am so slow. Of course, she had legs that started about right here, you know. Every one of my little steps, or two steps, she took one. But we called it Halo and Paul's. I think the two of them I did. Uh, it was the church helping benefit the uh, Humane Society, which used to be right across the street from us. And I thought, man, maybe that's something we should do again. Some sort of run that would raise awareness to the hope, to the belief that we have in Christ Jesus. And let that money, if we raise money, go to St. Vincent de Paul or some other ministry that supports local uh, things that, of our city. While stationed in England, and I'm about done, I know some of you think, well, you're ever going to get to the communion today. Uh, we were stationed at Lake and Heath, and they closed multiple bases in England at the time. They closed Upper Hayford, which was an F-111 base. We had F-111s. We went to F-15s while I was there. And uh, one of my buddies, um, Bud Howell, and I went in my van. I had this Toyota van that had a hitch on it. Brits have the weirdest hitches, not like we have in the U.S. It's like this big hook that sticks up like that. And we borrowed somebody that had a trailer, and we drive to Upper Hayford to a DMRO cell. That's a defense material reutilization organization, something like that. It's basically they're selling all the surplus. They're closing this base. They're not selling airplanes, but they're selling the stuff. I mean, like I remember I should have bought a, a sewing machine that was made for sewing parachutes. Maybe you could sew two hands together after that, and they'd never work. Anyway, but we went there hoping we'd get a washer and dryer for one of the local missionaries that uh, lived outside of uh, Lake and Heath, and they were running off a 220 there with a different cycle than the, the Americans 220. So we were going to go there and hopefully find a washer and dryer. So Bud and I, you know, being he's a hunter, and I used to think I was a hunter. We got up early. I think the gate opened at seven. We're there like at 5:30. We're just sitting in the van. Van's warm. We're drinking coffee, man. And next thing I know, a couple other people pull up. We're still drinking. Next thing I know, it gets cold outside. People started lining up at the door of this hangar in the cold. I think, well, I can let two or three of them go ahead of me. You know, I don't know. About that time, they rang a bell, and people jumped from the cars behind us. And I looked at Bud, and I said, Bud, they're running. I was like Forrest Gump, and I was running. I'm thinking, who's going to get in there and get ahead of me? Because people, little did we know, you could go the day earlier and see the things and see the prices, and all you had to do was go in there and grab the tag and then take it up and pay for it. Great deals were to be had. Yes, we did get a washer and dryer. But the best deal of your life is to redeem what Christ has done for you. To believe in him that he gave his self up for you and I. And that he would come back from the dead. And that if you have faith in him, you will have life everlasting. And on this side of glory, you will be empowered with his spirit that ought to make you run right there. So 
at the risk of seeing too contemporary, although I think the song is about five years old, as I dealt with all the things about running and running to him, uh, a song kept coming into my mind, and, and quite frankly, as so many songs, and when you can't hear well anymore, if they don't have the lyrics, you don't understand what they're saying. You, have you ever sung along to a song, you just kind of, <laughs> you don't really know what they're saying. So once I saw the words of this song, it made even more sense. So I just, I want to say it's a Lady Annabellum song, and she talks about running to you, baby. If you would say run to you, Jesus, it'd turn it into a Christian song. So let's just play the first little, like, one minute of that. And you got the words for those of you with hearing like mine. Shouldn't we run from hate? I run from prejudice. I run from pessimists. But I run to the How many can say amen to that? Let him run your life. there. Thank you. Let me ask you to stand as we have the faith to run to Jesus. Father, as we get ready for a time of invitation, I pray that as we have run to so many things other than you, that you would wipe that slate clean. Let us start running towards Jesus. Run with faith, the faith to share the good news and the faith that knowing Jesus will change our lives. Help us to run with belief, with power. Lord, if there's one here today who perhaps needs to run up these aisles to kneel and pray and say, Lord, forgive me, or maybe just come and ask others to pray with them. Lord, whatever decision there is to be made, this is the time in the church to run to Jesus. Let us respond to this invitation, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.